DJ, PK, and when is a compliment not really a compliment? You ever felt that, PK? People are trying to compliment you? The classic one TV, <laughs> the classic one TV people get is, wow, you look a lot better than you do on TV. Uh-oh. <laughs> Pack that up. Yeah. You've asked me, have I ever received a compliment? Yes. Explain compliment. No, whatever. Quit playing the victim. <laughs> Holy cow. Have I ever received a compliment? Yes. Uh, yeah, a couple months after being at the Watchdog, uh, come here, I need to meet with you. I, I really think that, uh, you know, you should probably look for another job. And you're PK, asking me? take it off, baby. Well, that That's wasn't a compliment. A compliment. Yeah, that, it that, is. No, no, no. That was, just, uh, that was just a matter of fact. She saw it's something like, and she wanted to see more. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you don't go to the seven wonders of the world and compliment them, do you? If you're you? one of the seven wonders of the world, that's a compliment. <laughs> So it's let me get to the point, because we're almost to break time. <laughs> Holy cow. Did we already? Yeah, believe it or not. The Deseret News does a story on the fact that Sports Illustrated did a feature on Mark Pope. Mark Pope, yes. Okay. So the headline in the Deseret News is, quote, like a Mormon Bill Walton, close quote, Colin, BYU head coach Mark Pope gets plenty of praise in new Sports Illustrated feature. Now, setting aside the praise that is in the feature, because that's a fact, he is praised, is like a Mormon Bill Walton a compliment? What percentage think that's a compliment? On the one hand, this guy's had an awesome career. He's a two-time NCAA champion, two-time NBA champion, NBA MVP, Hall of Famer, and now has had a great career in broadcasting. So there's that. But the other people who see him and immediately are like, no, oh, this guy distracts from the game, talks about himself all the time. He's so annoying. I don't know. Do you want to be the Mormon Bill Walton? Uh, yeah, I don't know why they have to mention Mormon, though. I mean, Mark Pope, we're seeing it actually in his recruiting because when he had his press conference uh, just about uh, a little over a year ago, you know, I went down there and listening to him talk about casting a wider net, and the and that had been and the and the joke was, and I made the joke. Well, yeah, his wider net instead of Lone Peak now includes Utah Valley because he was scooping up these transfers <laughs> from Utah Valley, and I, I forget who I was sitting next to, but we were both laughing about that, and we're thinking, ah, oh, blah blah blah. Ninety nine percent of your roster is going to be Mormon, and they're probably going to be from Utah and Idaho, and maybe you can get some kids. Arizona. In Arizona, in the East Valley, who are like a Jake Toulson, who pretty good, and uh, the other kid Dastrup didn't turn out, but he was from that same area. And other than that, you know, that's who you're going to get. Doesn't even seem like you're getting kids from California anymore, like you used to. And so we both just uh, looked at each other. Yeah, sure, Mark, whatever you say. But he's doing it. He's doing it to a degree, and he's attacking the. The grad transfer, and he's got the junior college kid, uh, was it Nigeria by way of uh, New Mexico Junior College? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Nigeria. I'd have to double check on that. This, this latest he kid. He is Nigerian, that yeah. Yeah. And so that's two kids off the top of my head, and I know he's going after other kids. So i got to give him credit. So my point is, I don't think he wants to be known as some Mormon Bill Walton or some Mormon coach. He wants to be known as a basketball coach at BYU, and obviously you're going to have a high amount of LDS kids we understand that so but I, you know i think you were trying to have fun with it and that's no problem i'm more of a serious journalist you like to screw around uh but then you know that those Fact. are the roles that we take <laughs> and i i think that uh you know uh, pat 40 read the thing I, I wrote the thing i mean i read some of it 
the unbridled optimism, I guess, is the connection there. They're both tall. That's and, it. There it is. Yeah. I can read you the quote from the story. Um, Pat Forty's writing, and he writes, he has a fun playing style, but Pope's personality is the real selling point. The 47-year-old is something of a human Labrador retriever, a six-foot-ten tower of over-the-top enthusiasm. His tail is always wagging. Quote, he's got this great spirit, close quote. Cal basketball coach Mark Fox said, he has a very positive outlook. This is the second part of Fox's quote. And, and he then for Fox, right? And then, uh, and then uh, Forty writes, I mentioned to Fox that Pope seems a bit like a Mormon Bill Walton. Everything in his world is wonderful all the time. Fox hesitated a second, then concurred, adding, quote, my guess is that if they both ended up in confession, Mark would have less to talk about. Close quote. So that, that, was a, that was a decent quote. Yeah. Uh, pulling into Catholicism there with the confession. Yeah. I used to go every Friday. Uh, first Friday of the month, I mean, and, uh, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And then I was a kid, so I'd make up a couple. Uh, <laughs> Sinning again by lying to the priest. <laughs> uh, so I did all that stuff. Uh, yeah, but I, I think that uh, the, and the, he's trying to in- inject some enthusiasm in the program and take it to a higher level because the program had stagnated to a bit. But I can tell you, watching him make that long walk down the hall at the Orleans Arena after they lost to St. Mary's, and I saw him, I was standing in the hallway and watching him walk down, uh, that was not a guy where he was always happy and always positive because that was a devastating loss and ends up, unfortunately, being the last game that they played. Uh, which sucks on multiple levels. So I do think there's realism there. But for me, I'm going to grade Mark Pope as an A, and and Chris Burgess, I understand, got some uh, run for uh, an assistant coach at the mid-major level. I'm not sure people realize what a great person Chris Burgess is. And he's a big-time asset for Mark Pope to have on the staff. And and Burgess really, really is a high, high high-quality guy. He's been through a lot. You know, he came, but we don't – we touch talk about quarterbacks not fulfilling it. Obviously, Burgess, the hype that he had was impossible to live up to, and some of it was brought upon him by his own family, which was unfortunate. But nevertheless, he's not only survived that, he's just thrived in that situation. I can't say enough about Chris as a person, top-of-the-line guy all the way for sure. And so you add Pope to the mix. So I give these guys an A after last season, but at the same time, uh, Dave Rose left them with a good situation and you got to give credit to Pope and those guys to get uh, Toulson to come over and then Yoli to come back. Uh, and then Barcelo got on there. But the other guys, you know, they were seniors and TJ was ready to win. Uh, so the jury, I think, is still out on Pope and what he can do going forward. But I certainly like the position that those guys have elevated BYU basketball in such a quick time to the point where that uh, – they should be. I'm, I'm expecting them now to surpass St. Mary's and be solidly second. I can't say that they're going to pass Gonzaga. I just can't do that. I don't think anybody can do that. And Dickie V, right, Yach? Dickie V called this Harms kid the best transfer out there. So he's the number one guy. I thought he was the top transfer on the market. Did you get Dick? I gave you Dickie V's whole number. Did you, did you get him? I made a phone call and left a message, but have yet to hear back. Come on, V. I could tell V that I'm from Jersey. My mother's Italian. What more does he want? We're Come on, Dickie v, v. For now, <laughs> Dave Fox has the best Dick Vitale story. It's such a great story. For some reason, and I'm not sure why, Dave somehow got Channel Two to send him back to. Um, I think it was the. 
Final Four in New Jersey. I think we have. I'd have to run this by Dave and make sure I'm getting all the details right. But he ends up getting Dick Vitale somehow to do an interview. And I think they had to, like, do it out in traffic. I think they did it on some street corner. And they started talking. And, you know, Dickie V gets all wound up, right? And then Dave starts getting caught up in it. And Dave's getting a prediction out of him. I think it was the Final Four. Like, and Dave does Dickie V to Dickie V. You know, who do you like? And he's like... <laughs> And then Vitale gets all wound up about himself, and he's talking, he's like, I'm bald, I'm bald, I'm blind, I got one eye! And he's just screaming, and it totally reminded me of you and all the stories about Jersey and New York and people who can talk forever. And an Italian guy. His name yeah. ends in a vowel, and he can talk. And Dave was like, Dave was like it was like being in the, in the eye of a hurricane. It was just unbelievable. He was just laughing about it. It was sensational. All right. I'm bald. I got one eye. That's not bad. That's decent. <laughs> and, you know, and you're in the middle of that conversation, like 10 minutes earlier, you're not even sure you're going to be able to talk to him. And then all of a sudden, everything happens. All right, DJ and PK coming up. Spring football tour. We're going to get to the UCLA Bruins next. Stay with us. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. NFL released its full 256-game schedule. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers face Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. Week 1, September 13th. Buccaneers, like the Chiefs and the Packers, have a maximum five primetime games this season. Saints are in Las Vegas to open the Raiders' new stadium week two. And the Vikings and the Saints play a Friday game on Christmas Day. First Christmas Day game since 2009. Houston Rockets coach Mike D'Antoni says he has no reservations about being on the sideline if the NBA season resumes. Despite his age increasing the risk of severe illness or death from COVID-19, D'Antoni is 69. He is the second oldest coach in the league behind Greg Popovich, who is 71. Top of the Wire brought to you by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. That's Action Plumbing. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller. Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at lhmdeals.com. We're about to talk here with uh, Ben Bolch, covers the UCLA Bruins for the LA Times. PK, how much faith do you have in the rebuilding job at UCLA? Uh, you know, I thought that it would take a little bit, but I didn't think it would be this difficult. Obviously, it's been a little more difficult than I thought. Uh, but I still think that, uh, you know, you've got to give it time. It needs to be done the right way. Uh, they've had some crazy times here so far. Uh, so uh, I think right now I was more encouraged last year than I was the year before. But I'm grateful for UC Los Angeles because 
it takes the heat off. For years and years, I've had to hear about ASU being a sleeping giant. Well, now it's, what's wrong with Chip Kelly's team? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have to hear that. Four and eight was uh, a little bit of a head scratcher, a little bit of a bizarro. And but they started one and five, and you know maybe the way they played the second half of the season, that it was a weird. It was just a weird year all the way around. I mean, some things were predictable. You knew when they scheduled Oklahoma, like, well, that may have been a good idea at the time, but now they're completely overmatched. Right. But to bounce back from that with that crazy come-from-behind win at Washington State where they win 67-63 and are just breaking off 50- and 80-yard touchdowns left and right as they rally to win that game, you're like, that's Chip Kelly football. Even if he can't defend, it's going to be exciting. They're going to win some shootouts. But they... You know, one in five midway through the season. But they got to four and eight, so a little bit of improvement down the stretch, but still. Well, let's talk with Ben Bolch. He covers the UCLA Bruins for the LA Times. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Ben, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. We were just discussing a uh, big picture before we drill into the roster and some of the challenges here the Bruins face. But big picture, how much faith do you have in a rebuilding job after watching the Bruins go 4 and 5 in conference and 4 and 8 overall in the fall of 2019? Well, I'll be honest with you, not not a ton. Uh and and I base that more so on the talent level of the roster and the recruits coming in than the results in the first two years. I mean, most people know that it takes a little while to get rolling with with a new regime. Uh, But, you know, beyond just going 7 and 17 in two years, which was below anybody's expectation, uh, the recruiting has not been where it needs to be to make this an elite Pac-12 program. So to me, that's the most concerning thing. And and as I've... uh, seen you know the best players have actually been the ones leaving every year not coming in so to me that's that's really the most worrisome development right now for ucla football yeah i think it was last year the times did a story of like 65 guys or some outrageous number that have left the program since chimp kelly has been there we know I think the tight end, uh, he went to the draft. So there's a couple linebackers who put their names in the grad transfer portal. Is it a matter of him being difficult to play for as opposed to what is exactly going on? Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a confluence of factors. I mean, certainly there have been some guys who were injured and took medical retirements. There were some guys who, uh, you know, just wanted to go to a different program to experience a different thing. But I, I think undeniably there is a, a, a factor of, uh, you know, guys, uh, certain guys not wanting to play for Chip for, for whatever reason. Uh, and the one thing I've kind of observed watching the program is that it doesn't seem like it's a lot of fun to play in. Uh, and then if it's not fun to play in and you're not winning, what do you really have there? And I think that's kind of the big thing confronting Chip Kelly at UCLA football right now is, you know, he, he's known as, uh, you know, at Oregon, they had wild success, you know, so it was easy to have fun regardless of how hard it was to play in that system. Uh, you know, they were winning every week, so that was the fun. At UCLA, they haven't experienced that, and I think that's kind of the biggest challenge they have because obviously he's known as kind of a no-nonsense guy uh, with the way he runs things, so you have to have some success go hand-in-hand hand with that to have any kind of sustainability. 
So Chip Kelly's known for these great offenses, and he has had some really good running backs over the years, especially go back to Oregon and that, and really dynamic. And Joshua Kelly ran for 1,000 yards, but he's off to the NFL now. Does he have a big-time running back, or does he have the running back by committee that, you know, three guys will run for 1,800 or 2,000 yards? Has he got the running back or running backs that are going to make this go? Well, I think, uh, you know, based on the guys coming back, that doesn't look promising. But they do have an, uh, a grad transfer coming in from Duke um, named Britton Brown, who had some, some pretty good success with Duke uh, when he was not injured. Uh, and that's the big caveat because UCLA's brought in a number of grad transfers who look promising on paper, but then, you know, their injuries either caught up with them or they experienced new injuries. Uh, but but if you if you look at what he's been able to d- do and take the injuries off the table, he could be that kind of every down back that they're looking for to replace Joshua Kelly uh, on the roster as it stands now. Um, the one guy that you would look look at is Demetric Felton uh, coming back. He's kind of an electric playmaker, but you know as when, when Josh Kelly was out early in the season, they asked him to be that every down back, and it didn't really turn out uh, to be that productive. I think he's more of a change of pace guy. He's super fast. He needs to get in space. They put, they put him in the slot quite a bit. Uh, so he's kind of that like uh, guy you, you want to move around and not, not you know, line up in the backfield and carry the ball every time. So they're going to need somebody else to emerge, certainly. I think that this grad transfer from Duke would be, would be my top candidate uh, unless uh, one of the younger guys who hasn't really done much uh, can, can kind of step up. They had three freshmen that, that we thought were going to be uh, you know, at least role players last year who, who didn't even get a single carry. Uh, so, so that was a little bit surprising. Uh, they've got a ton of running backs, but they really need somebody to step up for sure. I have a little bit of optimism in the run game because we know Chip Kelly has had a great number of running backs at Oregon. And I look at Kelly, you know, what was he, a Davis transfer? And by the way, we, we, we go down for uh, down there at uh, Hollywood and Highland and every year for media day. And, and I, didn't find a more delightful kid than Joshua Kelly. He was so fun to talk to. And he was such a success story. I wasn't expected to do what he did, but yet he bet on himself and he did it. So I'm wondering whether it's Felton. I don't even know. Are they going to keep Felton at running back? Because I know he was switching back and forth from receiver. But I do expect them to be able to run the ball because if they can't, then they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think that he's going to be in the mix to start the year. And then maybe, you know, Chip, the, the, the one pattern I've seen on uh, Chip's first two years is first handful of games, he's going to throw a lot of guys in the mix there and look for roles to kind of define themselves uh, and then put those guys in the best positions uh, to help the team. Uh, and that's what we kind of saw last year and, and the year before when it really took four games to cement Josh Kelly as, as the guy at UCLA and then took off and, and, and was that for the rest of his uh, career uh, with the Bruins. So, uh, yeah, I would think that, you know, the first handful of games, uh, whenever they're played, uh, we'll, we'll see a, a big rotation and that will get winnowed down. So quarterback play has been an issue. Dorian Thompson-Robinson had a couple years invested in him. Where do things stand at quarterback? Yeah, that's like he, he's probably the biggest factor that's going to determine UCLA's success uh, next season. Can he take the next step that you know a lot of people thought uh, he was going to take after his freshman year? Uh, and and you know he he certainly had some games last year where you were like, wow, this guy uh, he he can be something special, especially uh, 
in that Washington State comeback when he you know went for over 500 yards, and then even in the SC game when they basically got blown out, he really stood in there uh, and had a really kind of gritty showing. Uh, and those are you know some some moments where you're like he's he's legit, but then you know he'll have a game where he'll lose the ball twice without getting touched. You know he, his fumbles were. Uh, a huge issue last year. I think he finished the year with 19 turnovers, fumbles, and interceptions combined. And, you know, he's got to at least cut that in half for for UCLA to make any kind of noise uh, next season. So that's that's the big thing. And, and, and he's, he's always had, you know, a good, strong arm. But the thing that he really also needs to improve on is his touch passes because, you know, a lot of times he'll be uh, rolling out and have an open receiver, you know, five, ten yards away, and he, he can't hit him for whatever reason. So, those are those are the two things that I think that uh, he really needs to take that the, the big leap in that would make him, uh, you know, a, a top tier Pac-12 quarterback. So you look at defensively. I mean, I think they had like six seniors, uh, linebacker who are going to be gone, and then a couple guys I said put their name in the transfer. Seems like they're going to be hurting there. Although, I, I, if I remember correctly, Calvert's pretty good linebacker who had some academic issues and maybe played in a game or two last year. Is he going to be okay and be the leader on that linebacking core? Yeah, I, I think he's going to have a, a really good year, as you alluded to. He barely played last year. It was actually an NCAA suspension. They wouldn't ever specify what it was, but uh, he basically missed the whole season. And, and yeah, their, their whole linebacking crew is gone. The, the, the one interesting thing... Uh, they, they brought in uh, Brian Norwood from Navy to be kind of the uh, passing defensive passing game coordinator, uh, and, and I'm, I'm interested to see if we see some kind of schematic switches. Even though he's not the defensive coordinator, you know, maybe they'll uh, go to, to something more like you know a five-four-two we've heard of, or uh, some kind of hybrid look that, that might be a little bit different from what they've done the first two years with Jerry Azanaro as the defensive coordinator. Because let's face it. Uh, they haven't been uh, good at all in defense in last year. In fact, they were historically bad in, in a couple of categories. So something needs to change there. You know, they've got a lot of turnover. I think the defensive line and, and secondary should be in pretty good shape. But the big question mark is you're, you're replacing every starting linebacker. That's, that's, uh, that's a big hole that they have to fill. Um, so I'll be interested to see uh, what kind of changes they, do, they make to try to negate that as, uh, as something that could be an issue. So that brings us to, uh, you know, the D-line and what you talk about, how stuff is messed up. And it's been messed up for a long time. I mean, do you go back to 2016 and Joe Williams comes out of retirement and runs for 335 yards and, and UCLA gets pushed all over the place. And with the previous administration, I remember, uh, I can't even remember which new coach it was who came in, who ended the tradition of the players going over the wall and missing practice on the last day of practice. And I, and I remember, was that Mora who did that? Yeah. yeah. And I remember yeah. Neuheisel talking about, well, we're not committed. We practice on an 80-yard field. You know, we don't, have, we don't even have basic facilities like a 100-yard practice field and it's just like the accumulation of all these things has it caught up to the program and in recruiting over a long period of time you know you don't notice it every year they're in LA they play in a beautiful stadium there's a lot of talent around there but has all this stuff just caught up because the defensive line shouldn't get pushed around and be given up 335 yards well, I will say there, you know, you mentioned the 80-yard the field. Uh, their facilities right now are, are among the best in the country. They've got the beautiful new uh, Wasserman Football Center. Uh, their field is still 80 yards, but, you know, I've never heard anybody 
uh, say anything about that since that, that kind of infamous quip that, that went out there. Um, and I, I don't think it's a factor at all. I think that these guys uh, can get exactly what they need out of that. But, you know, it's just a confluence of things. It's, uh, you know, a lot of turnover in coaching, not only just head coaches, but assistants. Uh, they've had, you know, multiple different D-line coaches. Um, they've had they've, they lost a good one in Angus McClure, who, who now is at Cal, who uh, was a great recruiter uh, and, and brought in a lot of key guys like Tack McKinley with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, and, and Brian Clark and some others who uh, were, were really good guys, and, and, and recently uh, they, they've kind of uh, haven't had that success. Uh, and, and, and another factor I should mention, you know, they, they kind of uh, wanted to go uh, 3-4 with Chip Kelly uh, and get kind of these big uh, hole pluggers up there like Antonio Maffi, who weighed like 400 pounds. And then last year they kind of de-emphasized the big guys and went smaller and quicker uh, and, you know, their depth wasn't really uh, great to do that, and they had some guys that they basically weren't using. So I think they're just kind of been in a constant flux there. Uh, they've had some recruiting misses and a lot of turnover, and you add that up together, uh, that's not, uh, not going to you, make you have a lot of success. So I think that uh, more than half of the roster were freshmen from last season. I think it was at 53%. And they played eight true freshmen. Two of those guys played along the offensive line who are expected to be back, led by uh, Kyle Phillips, who was a redshirt freshman. So can I expect that offensive line to be good? Because if so, that's a good sign. Yeah, I think it'll be uh, a decent starting unit. The key is going to be can they develop guys uh, in case of the inevitable injury or two that we know that they'll probably have. Because right now I think their depth is – pretty slender uh, there. They've got some guys that they think could be good, but, you know, with this, everybody stuck at home right now and they're missing out on spring football and, and who knows, you know, if we'll have to have a truncated uh, training camp going into the season. Those are kind of development times that you really need when you've got a bunch of young guys that you're trying to bring up through the ranks. So that could be a factor in, in getting guys ready and really having kind of the depth they need to withstand any sort of injury. But, you know, knock on wood, if UCLA can avoid injuries, I think their line will be uh, as good or better than, than last year. And it will, certainly will need to be to help both uh, Dorian and uh, whoever ends up replacing Josh Kelly because that's obviously the foundation of any offense. So as they go out and recruit, how do they spin the tiny crowds? And I know the Rose Bowl is a massive facility, and I've been in it when there have been 45,000 people at a game, and that just happens sometimes. But it looked like they had ten or fifteen or 20,000 people at multiple games last year. How do you spin that when you're trying to recruit? Yeah, it's really hard, and I think the optics, you know, anybody watching on TV or, or, or certainly, obviously, if you're at the games, it's uh, – it's not a pretty sight, and last year, as you alluded to, they they set an all-time low uh, record uh, attendance. I can't remember what the exact number was, somewhere in the 40s, 40,000s uh, for average attendance, and, and uh, yeah, that included having Oklahoma come and, and bring in a, a great uh, visiting crowd. So uh, I don't know that there really is any way to spin it. I mean, they can you can certainly say, oh, well, you know, there's so many more options, uh, especially in L.A., for sports and entertainment, there's a lot of professional teams, but ultimately we all know that uh, you know they just have to win to, to turn that around because it was only 2014, six, four, six short years ago, that Jim Mora 
uh, and the Bruins averaged 77,000, which is, uh, you know, pretty darn impressive. Uh, and I think they were, you know, in the top 10 in the nation uh, for, for average crowds. So, uh, you know, you just need to get some excitement and buzz going, and, and, and that will kind of solve itself. So the Bruins' home games this season, hopefully we have them, they have themes. The beach game, the pride game, educators' appreciation, higher education, the Hispanic, Los Bruins, healthcare professionals, and then first responders game. Which is your favorite? Well, you got to go with the first responders, right? I mean, uh, and healthcare professionals, especially people at this time, everybody who is out there, uh, helping others and saving lives, uh, that's, you know, we, we joke about some of these kind of hokey things, but uh, that's, a, that's a real legit thing, and uh, certainly I'll, I'll be standing with everybody else when, when they honor these people. So it would be great if all of these games happen. We're not in California. We hear some stuff the governor is saying there. You probably hear more, and you probably talk to people around the program. Do you, do you think you're going to be covering games in September and October? And if not, then then when? Yeah, it's a million-dollar question, right? I mean, I think today was the, is the first day that they're uh, reopening hiking trails uh, here in California, which, you know, is a huge deal here. But, you know, it's, it's probably not a big step in the direction of playing a college football game. Um, UCLA is a little bit different than some of the other schools uh, in that they, in theory, have a little bit more time to decide because they're on the quarter system and their uh, fall quarter doesn't start till the third week in September. Um, obviously, right now everything's still online, uh, but there's just so many questions that have to be answered. And uh, you know, I, I think that it'll probably be a Pac-12-wide kind of consensus decision. I don't know that you know, you know, Stanford and Arizona will play, and, and certain other schools wouldn't. I would think that they would have to have some uniformity and consensus and, and a plan going forward. And as we all know, you know, the different states with different uh, sets of uh, hotspot. Uh, situations and things like that are going to really complicate it. So, um, you know, they, they say that uh, it's basically going to be uh, based on our students on campus and can they bring the athletes back and, and play these games safely. I think those are kind of the two big uh, hurdles that have to be cleared before we see college football. Bruins have had the last five years, I think they've had three tight ends drafted, including this year. They got anybody else in line to be really good at that position? You know, they've got some young guys, uh, but, you know, it's, it's interesting because this went from literally kind of the one thing that, that made Chip Kelly uh, go with this kind of uh, quizzical offense that people were, you know, expecting something closer to the blur, and, and they come in and it's like a tight end heavy pro-style set. Uh, he, you know, he, he pointed to the, the bevy of tight ends that they had when he arrived as the reason for that. And now it's kind of the complete opposite. I mean, they're down to, uh, you know, giving uh, walk-on scholarships just because they don't really have the depth there now. Um, you know, they've got some young and, uh, and, and, and potentially promising guys, but uh, really no proven depth. I mean, they've got basically a, a freshman and, and a walk-on that I just alluded to. We've got a scholarship, Greg Dulcich, uh, coming up as kind of the top returning guys, and they only caught – a handful of, of passes between them. So yeah, I, I, it was going to be, you know, one of my first questions in the spring, we only got to talk to Chip once, is are, are you going to change the, the look of this offense? Because, you know, you said that you went this way uh, to utilize the tight ends, and he had as many as three and four on the field at the time. 
And now he doesn't have that depth. So I'm interested to see if that kind of changes the look of UCLA's offense. And, you know, maybe they will go to more of a, a spread look because their receivers, to me right now, are the strength of this team offensively. Ben, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, anytime. Thank you so much. Ben Bolch, he covers the UCLA Bruins for the LA Times. Our spring football tour continuing right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Your feedback brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or com. PK, I was telling you, I'm still getting uh, stuff from the uh, tweet two days ago, May 6th. Are you satisfied the Gobert-Mitchell saga is over now that Dennis Lindsay addressed it and says it's over? And Steve says, I don't care. Jazz teams always finish second or third or fourth, dot, 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 dot. Well, uh, it's better than 10th, 11th, 12th. <laughs> and I never say never on that stuff. And yeah. You don't know. That is true, and having covered the Sacramento Kings, you're right. It is better than 10th, 11th, or 12th. Jazz have gotten a taste of that a few times. It hasn't been all that fun when they've been stuck in the lottery for multiple years. No, it years. sucks. Yeah. Uh, G.R. Hall, it is never a compliment when you're compared with Bill Walton. Never! All caps. G.R. Hall yelling at us. Why? Because of the D-News story. and Read clips from the D-News story off the Sports Illustrated story where... Mark Pope is referred to as the Mormon Bill Walton because their their high energy level, overwhelming positivity. Well, I think you got to understand when Bill does a broadcast what you're getting for, what you're getting when you go uh, turn on one that he's doing it. And they must uh, the must research must be good because he seems like he's on he a, lot a lot of games, of work. right? Yeah. <laughs> Him and Dave Pash are like a fixture now for ESPN. Right, but when yeah. he's not on ESPN, yeah. he's on the Pac-12, Pac-12 network. network. He's I all mean, over he's, the place, yeah. he's you know, if if it's a game night, he's, he's probably a, doing a game on some network somewhere. He's a, he's a media darling now. It makes it entertaining. Sometimes it can get a little over the top. But, you know, when you're asking guys and you're expecting guys, I can relate to this, you know, push the envelope. Well, sometimes they push it too far. But if they don't push it at all, they're not going to have a job. And so you want them to extend themselves. Yeah, well, no one's perfect. And sometimes some of the things you say are awesome, and a lot of the times they are, and they're funny, and they're entertaining, and you have a blast with it. But other times it's like, all right, it's too much. It's a constant balance. And sometimes guys just go too far. I get it. But most of the time it works, or they wouldn't be having them do it all these games. 60 Minutes tweeted out an MJ interview because, you know, all things Jordan these days. It's an interview they did with him back in uh, 2005. And I tweeted out, because no one can get enough MJ these days, and tweeted out, so, you know, more people can see it. And Mark tweets back, speak for yourself. I had enough of him when he was playing. Great player, mega talented, and phenomenal game. Nevertheless, he was totally pampered by the NBA and its officials. Honestly, I don't see the appeal. Yeah, and your guys weren't pampered at all. That was the thing. It was 100% Chicago and zero jazz. No pamperization whatsoever. How many free throws did Carl Malone shoot? The most in NBA history. Oh, I'm not on. you got to be kidding me. The most ever. No one shot more. Not even Kareem, who played forever and scored a gazillion points. All right, we're out of time. Have a good weekend. We'll see you Sunday night on Talking Sports. and back here Monday morning on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.